From the pages of the Salt Lake Tribune, straight to your earphones, this is Tribune Sports Radio. Welcome to episode 43 of Tribune Sports Radio. I'm your host, Ben Raskin. With me today is Kevin Warner-Morris. How you doing, Benny? Chris Camrani. Benny. And the man who wrote the book on fishing in Utah, Tribune's, uh, not Tribune Sports Radio, but Tribune uh, Outdoor Beat Writer. Sports Writer was a past life here at the <laughs> Tribune, but yes, outdoors and environment. Outdoor. Oh, really? When did you start as a sports writer? Okay, you should probably say his name. Oh, Brett Prettyman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that doesn't matter, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> BP. I started as a sports writer in the fall of 1990. 1990? So it was uh, Tribune your first gig here? Yep, only yep. gig. Yeah. Only? Where'd you go to school? University of Utah. Rock and roll. Did you do the uh, the normal thing, start with uh, preps and kind of ratchet your way up? No, I, I uh, started at the Tribune as a newsroom assistant and mm-hmm. then uh, moved to the copy desk and helped lay out pages. Uh, is that the old cut and paste days where you yeah. cut and paste? <laughs> well, I watched that happen, actually, uh-huh. but uh, no, I didn't do it. Um, I uh, um, wrote headlines and such, and then I, it was probably only about a month or two before I started doing outdoor stories. And and then eventually, the next spring, I covered hockey. Mm. So I covered the Golden Eagles and the Grizzlies and, and the Olympics for hockey. And then uh, when did you start as uh, working just full-time doing outdoors? Uh, that was right after the Olympics, uh-huh. um, so that would have been, you know, spring of 2002. I'm kind of a fan of this thinking about people who live in Utah. I'm not originally from here, from Las Vegas, but I moved here 15 years ago. And I think that if, and Kevin's obviously on the other side of this, that those of us that experienced the Olympics have a pretty good, I don't, know, I, I don't know about you, but my perspective of the town changed dramatically after the end of the 2002 games and stuff. But uh, when you were here working for the Tribune, we were talking to Joe Baird about it, you know, with the offices used to being on Main Street. He was talking about it just did not feel like Utah. It did not feel like Salt Lake. And I totally agree from my perspective and stuff like that. Do you have any uh, kind of thoughts or memories from the, the games? That's absolutely true. Although I spent about 18 hours a day in West Valley and in Provo. So <laughs> I didn't, wasn't downtown very much. The one half day I did have off um, was spent downtown and, uh, you know, got to catch the character parade and all that kind of stuff. And I definitely felt a big difference in um, – Salt Lake City. It, it it did feel like a different place, and it felt like we were all the eyes of the world were on us, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, the thing is too is, and I, I not to be sort of a bummer before we jump into the fun fishing talk and sports stuff, but it's like uh, when people ask about the Olympics here in Salt Lake, they I think they forget that 9/11 was five months earlier. You know, it's just like it just did, I don't know the tenor of the town after that, like throughout America and probably maybe parts of the world and stuff like that. It's pretty crummy, you know. I mean, it just and it was just this new world that we knew we had stepped into, and it, for some reason, for those uh, 17 days, just like Utah felt like a safe sanctuary, you know, around the pl- this around the country and maybe even the planet with that. You know what I mean? Uh, it felt like a recovery time for yeah. sure. You know, it was we needed to kind of regroup and show off a little bit and and show the world that we were still functioning and, and yeah. able to do something like this. You know, the security. Um, get into the center every day was was heinous but um you know and, and even that laxed towards the end you know yeah. it got kind of common um but there was I, I think there definitely was an importance on the olympics um that year to kind of show the world that hey that happened and and we were horribly touched by it but but we can still strive on and experience the human condition and different ways absolutely what was uh, a particular event that you covered that was uh, memorable 
Well, you know, I, I like I said, I was all hockey all the time, and it actually, Did I was, you get to I was kind medal? of disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I, I covered the gold medal games for mm-hmm. men's and women, and and then also the Paralympic um, gold medal that USA won. So that was in sled hockey, which is pretty awesome as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just for me, actually, um, that, that was what happened after the Canadian game. That that is kind of one of my strong memories was. Sitting up in the press box in the in the East Center, um, with the lights low, waiting for the press conferences to start downstairs uh-huh. after the gold medal game, and watching the ice crew go down to center ice, and um, they were doing something, and I couldn't figure out what it was, and then I kind of finally looked, and and I could see they were digging something out of the ice at center ice, and I was like, what is going on? And uh, then I went to the press conference, and. Um, uh, Wayne Gretzky, the general manager yeah. of, of Team Canada, showed up, and he said, I got my medal, and he was holding up a loony <laughs> that the Canadians had put at center ice when they made the ice because they were part of the team. And uh, uh, so he said, you know, because coaches and GMs and managers don't get a medal. Yeah, yeah. And so they had done that for him, and it, they had told him, you know, it had been there the whole time. And for him, you know, that was that was kind of epic. I'm sure he still has that. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think he's had to spend it, so – um, well, yeah, that was kind of a cool thing to, to actually see them doing that. And I, I, the other thing that was kind of interesting. And Looney that, doesn't go nearly as far as it used to. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, the other thing that was kind of cool was uh, my memory of the Canadian national anthem at the end of the game. Uh-huh. They started singing that. You could just barely hear it. And I don't know how in the heck they did it, but they timed it so that it ended right when the final, um, but, you know, when the game ended. Yeah. So, and you could just hear it kind of start, the Canadian anthem, and, and, you know, the last two minutes of the game, and it just built and built and built, and it was just, I mean, it, it gave me chills oh, wow. to hear that. Um, and right when the buzzer went, uh, and, you know, what are the chances of there not being a whistle in the last two minutes in the gold medal hockey game? So, but it did. They it would happened. have just carried out home of the That's other, the other, That's the other nation, one. Kev. What I was saying is that <laughs> the Americans been doing it. Oh, uh, that's right. They would have just held on to it. it. Uh, I know part of the Canadian national anthem. Don't sing it, but thanks. I, yeah, okay. I think we'll stop there. <laughs> no, I, my, 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 it's funny. One of my funniest remarks I bartend for uh, during these games and stuff like that is that we had the Canadians coming to. Uh, we're seeing it was the Wyndham at the time, but it's Radis. It's Radis now, but it's the Wyndham at the time and. We had this. We uh, we basically were hosting uh, the Canadian House de facto. They had their own house, but they were using our bar as one of the repositories. And these guys were so notoriously cheap that when we saw the Canadians coming in, there was this collective gasp from the staff, going like, "Us, oh, here we go again," you know. And they would literally wipe us out of every Labatt and move to Heineken and just <laughs> go through the ranking and stuff like that. Well, because the uh, gold medal game was one of the last events on the the day, because they did the uh, closing ceremonies that night. The Canadians came there on a Sunday, and at the time it was legal for them to buy as much as they want to take outside of the property. They've changed that law now. And so because all the state liquor stores are closed, they bought every single bottle of beer we had, every bottle of champagne we had, every bottle of wine, whiskey, you name it. And we literally loaded up a pallet for these guys down in the basement and used a pallet jack to lift and put onto the back of a truck. And these guys for 17 days have just ra- ran us ragged, not tipped a dime. And so when they picked up this last order, which was in the $16,000, $17,000, they tipped me for the entire week wow. they were there. 
And so I remember looking at a $10,000 gratuity at that moment. And then obviously I had to split it up with, you know, a lot of people down the road and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, you know what, maybe it was pretty good the Canadians won. And for one American, it was all right the Canadians won the gold medal match. So, you know, anyway, there that's you go. Awesome. That's my, my anti-U.S. thing. Uh, as a fisherman, uh, I think that's a part of the thing. I've been following you online vis-a-vis Twitter and also on Facebook and stuff like that. And literally, you wrote the book on fish in Utah. How long did it take to get that book started? What, what was the genesis of that? And uh, was it more fun researching or writing this damn thing? It depends on uh, how you decide when it started because technically it started in 1990 when I started covering outdoors for the Salt Lake Tribune. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of years of experience in there. I think I started working on that in like 97, 98, 99, somewhere officially in there. Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, um, when I signed the contract, it was like a, a year that I had. And of course, being the typical reporter, I waited until the final week to really <laughs> crank it out. But, uh, but it was my experience that, um, through the years that really helped me with that. And, and I, you know, I was the voice of that, but there are so many people that contributed to that. Yeah. It's not even funny. And um, the the main one is Jim Gunderson from Fish Tech Outfitters, who's a good yeah. friend of mine who I spent a, a lot of time fishing with in those early years. And he, I remember sitting in front of a computer, you know, with like a blue screen or something at that time. Um, he and I, like, until the wee hours of the morning, two nights, just, you know, cranking it out and getting all the details. So he, he really, and I think I said in the book that, his name should probably be on the book too, but he won't let me put it there. Well, let's back up. When did you? Uh, were you born with a rod in your hand? Um, I'd have to ask my mom officially on that. <laughs> I, I, I think it happened within the first year. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 my earliest memories of fishing were actually uh, the Jordan River uh, at Utah Lake, mm-hmm. where it came out. And my dad, I think, took my brother and I there when I was like five, maybe. And and uh, the biggest catfish we caught that day was. Um, uh, my brother found some line laying on the side of the bank and he started pulling on it and there was some catfish <laughs> wrapped up in the line. It wasn't hooked. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I also remember that uh, uh, we stayed, you know, we put them on a stringer and, and all that and then we threw them in, on the ice in the cooler and took them home and put them in the sink and they started swimming around when we got home. <laughs> I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I was like, yeah, fish are cool. But yeah, so I... I you know, I, I think my dad and mom probably took me before that, but that was like my first true memory. And I spent a lot of time in American Fork Canyon fishing as a kid. I won't go up, Kevin. You, you fished up there, haven't you, Chris? American Fork? No, I've spent a lot of my time at Strawberry growing up. That, there that are was no fishing there. <laughs> Brett says that there are. He's wrong. Yeah, I caught them all. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it. The, the best part of Strawberry growing up was outside of that you could get. You get some pretty big kokanee salmon mm-hmm. and then um, some big cutthroat, but the crawdads up there, mm-hmm. that was the best part. You would catch the crawdads and then cook them. Yeah, you know, that was one of my favorite. Kathy Stevenson, the food writer, and I did a, a series, I can't remember when it was, called Catch and Cook in Utah. And we, mm-hmm. So we went around, and, and I would do the catching, and she would, you know, cover the cooking part of it. So, yeah. Um, and they I paid you for this. Yeah, oh, and one, of my, one of my favorite one of my favorite ones was the crawdad um, package that we did, and I've uh, strawberry is the place to go for. Crawdads. You've been skunked. You've been skunked at strawberry multiple times. Yeah, you're not doing it right, man. That yes, that's true. Um, well, there was a time in the spring when a certain guest here, um, we we won't use any names, Brett, uh, 
had told me, yeah, 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 the ice is out. I, a guy told me. I know a guy, and he told me that the ice is out. So I took the canoe up to Strawberry. It's all excited. Had just gotten the canoe. Go up there. Um, my definition of ice out and this guy's are significantly different. <laughs> Mine is there isn't ice. This guy's was, I kind of see some open water over there. Um, That's the time to fish. Yeah, so. I felt like the Titanic. Luckily, I did not sink. That's good. <laughs> did not catch a fish, though. So with the with the stuff like this ice and stuff with the the lakes freezing over, we've had uh, historically low precipitation in the state during this. How is this going to impact fishing and for the upcoming uh, 2015 session or season? I don't. It's going to be an interesting year for sure. You know, we've had a couple of these in the last couple of years, and um, tailwater fisheries typically do okay. You know, Utah being the second driest state in the country has a lot of reservoirs. Yeah. So. Um, it kind of is an interesting dynamic. You know, there's a lot more opportunities because of that. Um, and the tailwater fisheries are a big reason. Uh, I, that know, Utah's, I, I don't know what's a tailwater fishery. It just means that it's a river coming out of a dam. Okay. So there's a pretty much reliable source of, of water as opposed to, you know, smaller creeks and rivers that don't have a dam on them. So mm -hmm. they, they can dry up or okay. get really super low. Um, you know, like the Green River and the Provo, you know, in the middle and, and lower sections. Um, pretty reliable flows. So um, they can sustain healthy populations over a long period of time, as opposed to smaller creeks that can experience die-offs if the water gets too low, uh -huh. that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, so that's one really reliable thing that Utah has. And the reservoirs can be pretty reliable too, but when the water gets to a certain point and it heats up and you know, it just, it, it, one thing that I think has been really interesting that I've kind of tracked through the years of coverage is, is this, switching from more of a, you know, the traditional rainbow trout anglers in Utah, which everybody, you know, grew up doing, um, to the more of the warm water species, because we have to, the water quality, the water temperature um, in the lower elevation lakes and rivers is, is not very conducive to rainbow trout. Mm -hmm. And um, so these other species make more sense. As a guy, uh, I like East Canyon a lot. You know, it's one of my favorite places because the proximity to Salt Lake and you can get up there relatively quick. But as you're walking down over those boulders to get down to the water line and stuff, you can literally see the past years of where it is. And it seems like it's dropping precipitously that, you know, I mean, is, could it, we could certain reservoirs <coughs> be, you know, unfishable in the near future if we don't start getting more water? Or is there a way that, I'm not saying that DWR, create more water, please, but I mean, it's... What's the long-term solution to make sure places like East Canyon can survive? Well, it's based on um, water rights mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, minimum flows for the rivers and uh, minimum uh, levels of water for those, yeah. assuring that there's water deep enough to sustain fish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see very often in cases like we might face this year where the water gets super low, where the division will, you know, order a, a immediate um, you know, uh, expansion of the limit on fish because they know they're going to lose them. So they try to grant them to anglers and say, go up and it's a free for all. You know, yeah. they'll double the, the daily possession limit or they'll just open it up. Um, and so they try to do that. And that, it, it doesn't happen all too often, but there's cases where there's going to be dam work done. And that's the other thing you see in these low water years is they see the opportunity with the water so low to do. Um, repairs on the dams and stuff so they take advantage of that as well so it, but that ends up you know pretty much costing the fishery it's 
life for a while. Yeah. With the, uh, it was a, you wrote a story this week, you were talking about, kind of uh, with, so you have the problem with the drought, obviously, and stuff like that, but you just wrote a story this week about pikes in the state and invasive species and stuff. Uh, talk to the listeners a little bit about what the problem with these pikes are and then basically why we're being told, you know, as fishermen to go out there. Not just, it's not a catch and release anymore with these. These are ones that you catch and then you clunk and then you take to almost like a bounty. Am I wrong? It's a bounty? Well, that's specifically to Utah Lake. Okay. Um, there, there are places in Utah where you can catch them and, and not kill them or mm-hmm. not turn them in. And, and that's, you know, uh, pike are not native to the West. Um, they've been brought in, uh, in many cases, legally by um, the, you know, the different states. Um, they also show up, uh, you know, in Lake Powell where the current, biggest pike ever caught was landed at catch and release and it was like I, I can't remember the length now it was over like 49 inches or something like that um, <laughs> huge and it was caught and released yeah for the really listeners awesome. at home that, that's the that's the spacing between the four of us doing this podcast yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and so uh they're amazing fish and they're fun as heck to catch mm, um yeah you know i've caught them at yuba and um i've caught them in minnesota and they're they're super fun um but they have a, a, a place, you know, and um, in Utah, they're, you know, pike are, sterile, are not sterile like the um, tiger muskie are yeah. in Utah. And so they can reproduce, and they do. And Yuba just experienced a humongous, you know, growth and, and uh, you know, eventual deluge of anglers to there to catch them. Uh, and, but somebody obviously decided, oh, well, that's too far to drive to catch a pike, and maybe I'll just throw my live well one, two, three, four, five, and take them up to Utah Lake and let them go. They'll do fine there, right? Well, well they, these guys are voracious eaters, right? Oh, yeah. So they'll eat anything that mm-hmm. you put in front of them, unless you're a fisherman. <laughs> then you get to watch them come to your boat and reject you. Um, but they, you know, they are fun fish, and um, they do, you know, have, have a role in Utah. Um, but they, at Utah Lake, they are mandatory kill. Um, and they're, they can be pretty good. Now, I would qualify that with, you know, it's Utah Lake. And I'm not sure I'd, yeah. you know, partake of <laughs> uh, Let's talk about that. Well, the <laughs> issue, no, actually, I'm, I, well, the issue is, is that, you know, the bigger the, bigger the fish mm-hmm. and the longer it's been around and the more other fish it's eaten, it's a cumulative scale mm-hmm. on pollution, right? Yeah, yeah. Mercury, other toxins in the fish. Yeah. And so the bigger the fish, the more it has, the more predatory the fish is. Like a kokanee is not going to have very much toxins in it because it's you know it's eating the plankton and stuff as opposed to a pike which is basically eating other fish from yeah. the time it hatches so um so they accumulate this um so you might think twice about eating mm-hmm. pike um now the anglers i know who've caught fish uh, who've caught pike on the green river below flaming gorge where there is also a mandatory kill um and I'm being one of them that's caught lucky enough to catch a pike over there. They're tasty, yeah. they, you know, and I'm, I wouldn't hesitate to eat them if there is much, right? Um, it's it's moving water and it's it's you know um, they probably live a little more healthy than than the, the guys in uh, Utah Lake. Well, you said earlier about this place being like the second driest state in the union. Is, I'm going to make a guess: is Nevada number one? Yes. Okay, so. There's three, there's three places where all the waterways throughout the entire continental United States are, are deposited into. It's the Gulf of Mexico, it's in Baja, California, and then it's obviously here in the Great Basin that goes into the Great Salt Lake. With all this pollution runoff and stuff, um, I mean, obviously it's 
it's bigger than just you know for recreational fishing and stuff like that. I mean, but I mean, in the time that you've been covering uh, outdoor activities here in Utah, I mean, what is the pollution from Lake? Now, I'm, I'm picking on the Utah Lake, but I'm talking more generally about the state. I mean, how has that impacted wildlife in the state for both gamesmen, fishermen, and just the general health of the citizens living here? In your opinion? Well, it's it's you know we've and seen. I know that's a very complicated question. Well, it is, and and I can probably answer it much better for for wildlife and and the you know the. The, the mercury warnings on fish consumption in Utah have just, you know, um, grown and grown and grown. And basically that's because they weren't doing anything. And so they're, they're going to find it pretty much everywhere <laughs> yeah. they go. Um, and, and there are concerns about that. Now there are people out there who say it's, you know, that's ridiculous. I'm going to eat what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been eating it my entire life and it's not an issue. And, you know, and, that, and to each their own. And, you know, the warnings are, are based primarily on kids and pregnant women. Yeah. Um, but there are advisories for a reason and depending on where you're getting these fish i mean if you're going out you're catching you know uh, planter rainbows from deer creek they're not they weren't raised in in the lake you know they're not accumulating that they're 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 eating food pellets you know so those aren't going to be an issue to eat Um, and they're delicious too (laughs) they are they can be um you know um, i've had a lot of delicious rainbow trout (laughs) that's not what i heard i heard you can't catch them you must have bought them at (laughs) oh they were no it was at the smiths you know it was 5.99 it was awesome there you go um but so there there's certainly been an increasing number of fish advisories uh, consumption advisories on fish um lake powell is kind of one that's come and gone and certain parts of the lake where stripers or mm-hmm. should be eaten in parts where that doesn't matter i i'm i eat fish but i'm not and i don't eat them enough to worry about the levels anyway yeah. you know so uh, people a lot of people that i talk to about fish consumption in utah say the value of you that you get from eating the fish is is worth more than the risk yeah, yeah. right they're, they're pretty healthy things to eat so What's your favorite fish to catch? To catch? To catch. The next one. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This guy's like a bumper sticker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's on his license plate. That's right. Um, Oh, no, no, let me me tell you this. Uh, Between uh, throwing jigs into the water, fly fishing, and ice fishing, uh, rank the three. The next one. Or (laughs) good answer, Kevin. Or kill, kiss, marry. You You know, know, I, uh, I, I truly don't. I mean, I, I am a, a fly fisherman, and mm. I, I enjoy that very much. But I, I sincerely enjoy any form of mm-hmm. it. And as part of my job through the years, it's been to, to do all the different versions and all the varieties. And, and I've, I enjoy them all. I, I really enjoy ice fishing. And I haven't had a chance to really do it in the last couple of years, partly due to the weather. Ice. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but now, if I may, please explain why. Because uh, for me, ice fishing, it's like instead of hitting the tackle shop on the way to the lake, you're hitting like the, the 7-Eleven to get beer. I, 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 to me, I've always equated it as one of these beer drinking. It's awesome. All you do is just, when you're not fishing, just drive really fast on a snowmobile across frozen ice. Oh, okay. That's all you do. There's one or the other. <laughs> Brett's nodding vigorously. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's just like any other... Uh, fishing you know it can be miserable mm-hmm. or it can be awesome and you know I've um, when we did our catch and cook at Fish Lake for perch mm-hmm. many years ago the first day we got there of course the day you know you get there and you're trying to take care of everything you want to get all the pictures and all the fish and cook the chowder and all this 
and we froze to death. I mean, it was, <laughs> there was like 60 mile an hour winds coming across Fish Lake, which is, can be one of the coldest places in the world, mm-hmm. seriously. Yeah. Um, and the next day we were in t-shirts on the ice catching more rainbows than you ever seen in your life. Mm-hmm. So it, it really varies, just like, you know, going to Strawberry. Mm-hmm. I mean, one day, you know, you can start in the morning, it could be beautiful, and by the afternoon you're six foot waves. So it's, um, there's just something about it, and but the first time you step on ice, it's kind of spooky. You, oh, know? And you hear the cracking, and yeah. they tell you, you know, well, that means that it's getting stronger. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, As a chubby guy, I need, I've never believed I need that. the engineer yeah. ahead of me, you know, the mechanical right. engineer explaining right. to me while it's getting. <laughs> well, the funny thing with that is that, you know, when I first started doing it, we had a, a, a friend, mm-hmm. um, Christian, who was probably, you know, I'm not three times my size maybe I mean not that big obviously but he was he was ginormous and, a hefty and, fellow and we would send him out first <laughs> all right Talk about the and then, and the then line. <laughs> well and then we went and then we went fish by him right <laughs> but there's actually a picture of him in the book um holding up a double a perch double at fish lake which one of my favorite pictures um so it's uh there's just something about it it's just it's a different way you know really it's just an excuse to get out in the winter and and fish and i'm i i don't you know i'm not going to stump my nose at any of those well, one of the things kevin and i because we've gone out uh you know a bunch and stuff like that and i think the difference between me and him with it is that i enjoy the drive out there and the drive home as well as the fishing you know to me it's a cumulative experience you know the entire thing if you get you get some bites that's great if you catch some it's not he does not feel that way. Unless we're coming home with trophy-sized trouts, then it's been a, a, an abysmal failure. I mean, how do you stand on that position? Uh, I mean, or, Kevin, you can defend yourself. No, you you summed it up well. I, for me, it's just um, the opportunity to get away. You know? Yeah. I it's mean, a, I, it's a, it, especially, you could just, I, I so focus on fishing when I'm doing it that it, it really is a cleansing thing. I, I'm not thinking about work or mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about, you know, um, making sure the kids get to every soccer game they need to. I'm just fishing. Yeah. And, uh, it's like a video game. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. guessing where you want to cast and yeah. where you think it might work. And it's half awesome. the time you're not ready when the strike <laughs> happens because you're yeah. so out of it, yeah. you know. Um, that's but a, that's what it is for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very therapeutic thing and um, – <clears throat> It's just an escape. It's an excuse to go out and get away from everything else. Well, I mean, Chris, you play a lot of FIFA. I mean, you play, <laughs> no, I play a lot of video <laughs> games. It's it's all good. You made the one who made the comparison on this. I mean, for you, what's it like? You know, what's what's well, I a mean, perfect fishing experience? For me, it's in the summertime hiking to like Notch Lake in the Uinas, hiking in your pole, and hoping you catch something in order to cook before the sun goes down, before you start freezing, and before the bugs start to eat you alive. Yeah. But, the, but, but the best time is, is at sunset when the bugs are out and everything's jumping. <clears throat> and the beauty about being up there is the water's so clean that you can you know, kind of spot fish, and they're jumping everywhere, so you kind of know where to cast. But the maddening part of it all is you could cast in spots where they're jumping left and right, and they won't take a bite of your damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. And... You're pissed. So, are you a fly fisher? No, okay. no. Yeah, I, I mean, you can hit I, 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 with the lure, and I, I would get way too frustrated. Yeah, I don't have that kind of art artistry. Uh, Brett has claimed, claimed that he, because yeah, I don't know how. I've never done it. Um, 
Brett claims that he could teach me, but Brett also claims that there are fish and strawberry. And I don't believe that. Well, that's uh, I uh, I picked up a cheapy fly rod last year, and, and I spent most of the summer on my lawn just practicing casting and trying to put some hoops out there, trying to land into there. And um, the times I've gone to the pro, I've been skunks. I mean, what, what's your advice for first time or very novice fly fisherman to get more into it without? literally draining your bank account <laughs> well and that and that's a that's a tricky one um you know for me getting into fly fishing i didn't i didn't really get into fly fishing until actually i was working here already and it was about the time i started working here that i started to do it more and um so i i did have to learn and, mm. and what i did is i had friends who did it and i hung out with them and you know uh i, I often tell people if they're spending money to go to someplace big you know, and they're going to be there for a couple of days. You know, I it, sometimes it really is worth it to go with a guide. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, first of all, so you can see what you know patterns or and see what they or see. whatever's working, yeah. right? And then to figure out where the fish are in the water. You know, um, uh, it, it, it's an investment, mm-hmm. and it's not only an investment in that trip; it's an investment in all time, right? Yeah. You know, I mean time you spend on the water is an experience and it helps you down the line so i am a i'm a reluctant fan of of hiring folks to to help you out um if you have friends who are going and and they're good and you know it and you know and they'll they'll let you tag along do it for sure and and uh take advantage of that and just soak it up you know i mean one of the things is you know people always say Oh, you must be a really good fisherman. Like, no, I just know who to go with. <laughs> um, and and that's actually one of the things I'm kind of reluctant about is that, I mean, I, I pay a lot of attention. I'm telling people what to do, um, in stories and video and stuff. But, but, personally, I'm I'm like not paying attention because I'm with these people. I'm not learning it the hard way on my own, right? I'm not investing that personal. Brain energy power. to do yeah. it yeah exactly yeah. so it's like it doesn't stick with me as well right. um and, and i just it's a little lazy that i i rely on other people so i i've in the last probably five years i've made a lot more concerted effort just to go by myself and just try to learn on my own yeah well i, I i've always been afraid of hiring a guide for because i'm i'm always afraid of the guys to be like oh my i've been doing this 20 years and you're the worst i've ever seen yeah, but you, know, you won't I, I be mean, the worst he's ever seen by the end, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, if he's any good. Well, and that's yeah. that is key, and that's where you know you ask people who do you suggest and, right. and that kind of stuff. But you know there are, are horror stories out there for sure of guides. And, yeah, but we we've all seen Deliverance. <laughs> Boy, I hear that a lot on the radio. Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it, it is a tricky thing, but it really can be a, an investment. And there's a lot of things you can do. There's so many videos now online you can watch and learn from. You know, a lot of the ones that I did with the Utah Division of Wildlife um, and the Tribune kind of focus on here's what you should do. Here's, and we have one on strawberry, you know, how to, how to use bass lures at strawberry and kick butt. Mm-hmm. And, and it works, you know. And so uh, it's, there, there's a lot of ways to learn. But uh, going with somebody who knows a, a little bit about what's going on is really helpful. So don't go with Kevin anymore. <laughs> oh, man. So, That's true. 
So I, I, this is something I think about with you. It's like you're the closest guy I know that's like Paul McLean from uh, The River Runs Through It, and you really are the fly fishing journalist. You know, uh, I just I assume you've read the book. Well, he's right? m- I would say he's yeah. probably more Norman McLean. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul I, unless, unless Brett's going to uh, some <laughs> some, <laughs> some sketchy that? places okay, at night, bl- blowing <laughs> blowing his. Uh, <laughs> he's got our house going to the blackjack table. I covered hockey <laughs> for twelve years. So. <laughs> No, uh, I was it, uh, obviously you read the book. Uh, what, it, what, what are some of the books about fishing and, and you know things that kind of uh, inspire you when you're not on the rivers and the lakes? Well, there's you know fishing Utah, is obviously <laughs> <laughs> available on Amazon. That's right. <laughs> ISBN uh, number. Um, you know, I, I I'm, I'm a fan of uh, John Deerock, uh, you know the trout bum mm-hmm. guy stuff. Uh, there's some really good writing there and, and some really useful um, information that comes from it. But I, I like the connection he makes with learning and experience, you know, like the overall experience like you were kind of talking about. Yeah. I don't really have um, super favorite. Um, I have a lot of friends who are fishing writers, and, and I see a lot of their stuff on on Facebook, and I, I like to read it there or, you know, um, click on it, check it out, uh, uh, you know. May I offer a su- may I offer a suggestion book you should read? I for everybody out there, it's uh, it's Hunter S. Thompson's The Curse of Lono. Have you read that? <laughs> I have not. So it's uh, in the spirit of uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You know, when the drugs kick in outside of Barstow and the bats, the bats and whatnot. But he was hired with Ralph Steadman, the illustrator, uh, the, who did all the pictures for Fear and Loathing, who kind of has had the visual aspect of HST and stuff, to go to Hawaii to uh, cover the Honolulu uh, Marathon and I think, I want to say 79, 80, 81 in that time. And obviously, like all of Thompson's books, he goes out going one direction, then he takes you into another direction. And what it ends up turning into is like uh, his coverage of the marathon. Chris, you've covered a marathon before. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you write about? The guy um, who finishes first. The guy who finishes first or someone who got really messed up. Not and all yet. the people throwing up at the end of yeah. the Yeah. That's, that's, that's the lead. That's what Thompson that's the basically lead. covered because he was on mile 13 drinking beer, yelling at people as they're barfing, <laughs> going up a hill and stuff. But he becomes absolutely possessed by this uh, this uh, Hawaiian god named Lano. And it's uh, he's the god of the ocean, which is always with the waves and, and, and whatnot. So he goes out into the sea. He wants to be a sports fisherman, thinking that if he catches he hooks a marlin, then he can calm, you know, Lono. But in the process of trying to catch the said fish, he goes obviously insane, hence the curse of Lono and stuff like that. What's the craziest fishing story you've had that doesn't involve snorting heroin off a fish hook? Because <laughs> that's part of the book, too, that I well, want to Well, they're going to top ten, Brett. Right? <laughs> yeah. well, or you can say heroin off so a fish So maybe he is like Paul McLean. <laughs> um, one of the, you know, and it didn't happen to me, but one of the most interesting stories from Utah lore is um, the there was a guy – there was a family boating at Flaming Gorge, and I can't remember when it was. It was in the, probably the mid to late 90s. And there was a boating accident. Mm-hmm. And this guy um, uh, was had his hand smashed in between these two boats and lost his thumb. Ugh. Well. No. Caught a yeah. fish? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> a guy caught a lake trout oh. and, gutted, and gutted it <laughs> and found his thumb. <laughs> Well, that, that's out there. Um, I can't really. Uh, there's, we've all had those, you know. I, yeah. the, I fished in a couple of. I, I do some. Uh, I've done some buddy tournaments, mm-hmm. bass tournaments type yeah, yeah. stuff. And um, I was Dumb at fish. Flaming Gorge um, 
once in a in a just a this wind hit and it was just absolutely crazy and we were coming back to the weigh-in and um when my wife had dropped me off with this guy uh in at where we met in salt lake you know he told her he said i'll bring you back oh. and when we were in the middle of these you know seriously 10-foot waves that were rogue waves were coming in all over the place and you're you're gunning the boat to go straight up <laughs> yeah. and then drop and straight up and drop. And I just thought every time we'd come up to the top of a wave that the wind would pick us up and flip us. And um, he had a metal bar on the side <laughs> that I was holding. And the joke is that my, you know, my grip is still on that bar. <laughs> In the middle of this, he, you know, he turned to me and said, I'm going to keep my promise to your wife. Yeah. <laughs> We actually damn right you are, and, and, and I was so dumb in the middle of it. I'm like, are we gonna make it back for the way in? He's like, I don't care. <laughs> uh, this guy went on to fish in the Bassmaster Classic, um, but anyway, uh, uh, three boats sank that day, Holy or didn't sink. They just took on water, yeah. and you know, they Holy weren't usable capsized. anymore. But it was it was heinous, and uh, I've been in some cases like that down at Lake Powell, uh, you know, oh, wall fishing sad. as well. Yeah, um, it's it, those summer you know, storms think, roll in. And it's you just crazy. have to batten down the hatches. Yeah. Um, you can see them coming because I've never seen them on Powell, but back home in Lake, on Lake Mead, we've just been on recreational boating. And then you yeah, see that, very wind, similar. Yep. Yeah. that wind kicks up, and it's just like, holy Toledo, we have to, like, we're going to be trying to outrun God yeah. to oh, yeah. get back to the harbor, you know? Yeah, we, when we filmed our, our Lake Powell um, YouTube video, we, you know, we had a, the bass boat all loaded up with all of our camping gear. We were out for four days yeah. and all the video gear and everything, and there were four of us on the boat. and. <laughs> We came through, you know, a, a, what I'd call a medium windstorm on yeah. Powell, and it was scary. Yeah. It was really scary. So, have you had a chance to fish? Obviously, I'm assuming you fished outside of the state. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, what makes what makes Utah unique in comparison to other states? Maybe give us a comparison to a state that you like outside of Utah. Well, I think the diversity in species that we have here is really amazing. Um, like I mentioned before, you know, when I was growing up, I I didn't know what it when I the first time I hooked a smallmouth bass I'm like what is this is this a carp you know I I seriously had no idea that there were other options um, and that's the way a lot of Utahns who grew up when I did thought you know that's all there is um, but it's it's amazing the number of species you can catch in Utah and and I I've done some columns over the years about you know people who've tried to catch everyone people who try to catch everyone on a fly and stuff like that and I, I don't I think I'm I think I'm done. I think I've caught them all. Um, <laughs> unless you start to get, you know, like breaking up the white perch from the Sacramento perch and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's um, racist, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. That's 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 how I they're listed in the fishing guide. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, um, and it's 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 not as easy as you'd think to to catch all the sport fish in Utah. Um, so I, I think that is kind of an unexpected. Um, you know, uh, advantage to, to living in Utah and being a fisherman. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think that uh, the, one of the other things I really liked um, through the years is that, you know, it used to be shore bait fishermen was oh, yeah. about all you saw. Yeah. And now the worms in a bucket kind yeah, of fishing. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, I mean, that's sometimes the best way to introduce kids mm -hmm. to it, you know, and, and to just go hang out and relax. And, um, but the other options you know fly fishing took off and and you know bass fishermen are everywhere now and it it's uh it's been cool to kind of see that growth happen as well um and as far as other states you know i 
I just kind of cherish every opportunity to fish a new place. Um, I, I love to collect fishing licenses from other states. Yeah. And um, so I'm a member of this group called the Outdoor Writers Association of America. Mm-hmm. We have conferences all over the country, and and basically they're an excuse to, to go fish. Yeah. And that's what I've done pretty much every time I've gone to a conference. I've found a time to fish. Uh, New York, Alaska, uh, Louisiana, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, that's been one of the really enjoyable things um, that I've, I've had that opportunity to really experience other fishing. So I don't really have like another favorite place. I mean, Alaska, I mean, come on, yeah, yeah, you can't really <laughs> compare to that, but Montana is pretty spectacular so well, that kind of leads into my second question is that you know i have people that come into the club and they and we fishing always invariably gets brought up through certainly during the summer months when you kind of get into that mindset you're doing it but you know uh the provo i mean that literally is a world-class fly fishing river am i right or yeah if you can tolerate you know using uh, elbow pads and um <laughs> you know and uh you know meeting a hundred of your best friends in your favorite hole and i you know i exaggerate of yeah. course um uh, you know, one of the things that is that it is, there's no doubt the fishing can be phenomenal, and I absolutely love it. But it, there's there's sometimes a problem with um, people growing up in that kind of environment where it's so crowded um, because they kind of lose their respect for other anglers and mm-hmm. allowing space. And, you know, I mean, you're fishing, and the next thing you know, there's a guy standing five feet from you fishing the same spot. and it, it yeah. gets kind of... Or uh, a boat comes by and you mm-hmm. cast into the boat. Fisherman etiquette. That, yeah. Or there's a bunch of tubers coming down there with beer and, you know, 25 deep as you're trying to get through your Hey, line. man, it gets hot. <laughs> you, have, you have to respect both sides. Yeah, but, you know, I've always, I've always been flummoxed by this idea that people will carry, you know, a six-pack into the backcountry full. But and they they won't bring it out empty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you get there and there's a there's a six pack laying yeah. there. That I've always like how hard is it to smash it and carry it out mm-hmm. compared to bring it in full? That that that's always well, bothered the, me. The, the other thing, so we were talking about East Canyon earlier, is that if you get to the north end of that stuff and you and you really traversing down there, it's kind of dicey to get to the water line. Mm-hmm. I've taken a stumble or two, and then you're looking around and you see the old Coors Originals with the pull tabs on there. It's like. Have you just been throwing cans? You know, it's funny you bring up East Canyon. I actually, when I was in college, I had a really good friend, Larry Fernandez, and and we would, um, you know, we just, it was funny. We we had that kind of fishing relationship where he'd just show up on a, you know, Friday night and say, hey, let's let's go camp and let's just go sleep in our car up at East Canyon and fish. And and we did a lot. And uh, and the first couple times we went, we, I was just, I was embarrassed by how much trash there was. Yeah. And so I started bringing it back, you know, and I started filling it up. And, um, and just pretty soon he started doing it, you know, like he'd bring it back. Like there was one time I forgot. And he's like, oh, I got one. <laughs> and, and the really kind of the cool thing that happened with that was eventually um, we were up there and we were, we'd been fishing for a while. And he some friends pulled up that he knew. And they came down and they were talking to us and blah, blah, blah. And they just started just throwing their trash. And he he told him he's like, what are you doing? You know, I mean, God, we've been cleaning this this bank up for months, and you're just gonna do that? You know, and I, I for me that was that was pretty cool, and I just think that that's, you know, um, anglers give themselves a bad reputation when yeah, they do well, that stuff. You know, I'm yeah. saying if you were gonna Boy Scout, that they tell you it's like leave only footprints, take only memories. You know, I think that's it's one of the things you kind of hammer into as you pack it out. 
it's not that hard when you're driving when your car is literally 150 feet yeah. away. Yeah, and and it's it's sad that that we feel like somebody else will do it. I mean, yeah. in my case, mm. I was the somebody else doing it, but for me, it was giving something back to the you know the resource that I love so much and that I appreciate. And and I'm also a firm believer that. If, if there's all kinds of trash around, people are more likely to trash yeah. it too. Yeah. Yeah. So if you clean it up, then it's like, oh, maybe I should clean this up yeah. because it's somebody else has. Well, even just when I go camping, we just bring a bag and usually pack out more stuff that we find there right. than we brought in. Right. Even, yeah. even in like the, the campfire ring. Yeah, know, no, that's that's their exactly their cans, cans thinking that they'll like burn no, somehow because they're too they're, as well yeah. as you they're think too waste they're too wasted to realize yeah. that, that that stuff doesn't burn necessarily yeah when we go camping we like to have a thing where um as we're kind of wrapping up the tents and stuff and packing up the car we send the kids out on a treasure <laughs> hunt yeah and and yeah. we tell them whoever yeah. brings in the most trash wins you know a candy bar or something like that and it's amazing the That's stuff smart. they can find they're like kicking oh, the dirt yeah. trying <laughs> to find yeah. stuff yeah. you know and you know, some of them sneak into the trash and bring out their, you know, some stuff. They, oh, I found this. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right well, it's, we're wrapping up on this one. I want to kind of just open it up to the other, guy, other guys if they have any questions and stuff. But, I mean, uh, for people who are listening still at this moment, we're at the 46-minute mark. Hi, Mom. Sorry I didn't say hi earlier. Uh, we're some good spots to throw some people at that maybe need some attention. Or uh, I'm not saying give away your secret holes, but uh, – just some, maybe some unexplored spaces in the state that people might want to take a peek at. Uh, I, I, and I'll throw one out, too. It's like I went down to in Boulder, Utah. I forget the name. It's um, the Power... Garcane Power Plant? That's the one. Mm-hmm. We went down there, and we had lots of success and stuff. And it's, it's the weirdest place to go fishing <laughs> because you've got the generators humming as loud as you've ever seen. There are power lines that go above with more lines wrapped around because people overcasting. You're going to you're gonna catch a ninja turtle, a mutant <laughs> ninja turtle. No, I would, that was the place where I, uh, we caught two rainbow and they both got thrown back immediately. You know? you're <laughs> like, just, I, don't, I don't need a Raphael or Michelangelo <laughs> getting put into my cooler. But uh, uh, it was a lot of fun to get out there mostly because, he, you know, it's stunning. Frankly, Escalante is stunningly beautiful. It might be the most beautiful part of the entire state. And that's obviously my opinion on that but i mean a handful of places that maybe people want to check out or just you know for day trips for folks you know because not and maybe not just even fishing i can open it up to hiking and stuff well you know i mean as, as chris mentioned that you know the winners are just a jewel um and they don't uh get as impacted by drought as, as some of the other parts you know and, and very comparable to the UN mountains is the Boulder Mountains, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, the high plateau stuff. I mean, a lot of people don't think of um, Boulder and Boulder Mountain area being, you know, high mountain lake area. But it, it to me, I, I used to call it the mini Uinas or the, it's, you know, the it's Uinas of the southern Utah. And, um, and there's a lot of great opportunities down there as well. There's a lot of people right now cussing me for talking about that place. Um, I, I mentioned it first. Well, that's right. <laughs> so I just following your lead. All right. right. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, so, and those are places where you're mostly going to be finding, you know, planter rainbows and, and tiger trout, which there's nothing wrong with. If, and if you're going up there with kids, and like I said, it's an excuse to get out. Yeah. If you get to catch a fish, all the better, right? You hearing so, that, Kevin? No. You hearing I'm that? Just, uh, I think he's wrong. Uh, <laughs> go, to, go to Smith's and get your fish. And 
and sell your canoe. Your favorite line. It's, it's not called catching. It's called fishing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They call it fishing for a reason. Right. So, you know, but other than that, I, I would encourage people just to try to get out early this year. Um, the weather's fine right now, and um, it's it's uh, it, it could be pretty slim pickings at the mm. end of the year. Um, and some people like that. You know, oh, the reservoir's smaller. The fish are condensed. Like, <laughs> it's easier fishing, right? Monkeys in a barrel. But, yeah, that's not always the way it works. I, and I, I just I, – I would suggest that people maybe not target certain waters, but make advantage of the opportunities. If you're in a certain area, check out what's there and, mm-hmm. and find new water. And uh, I'm, I – I like to hear from people about places to fish, and um, but I also don't like the expectations that come with that. Like yeah, somebody yeah. is raving about a place, and you go in there, and you've got it all in your mind that it's going to be so great. Like Kevin might have been when yeah. I was with Strawberry. Um, and so to Kevin, though, that was you'd have to. We didn't have a boat. We had to cast out six hundred yards to get to where there might be fish. I don't know about that. Uh, okay. Just put some waders on that thing. Go, fair, go, go farther. And also, he you, here's the best part about it. He actually uh, let me sink into quicksand and refused to help me. That was the other part. I remember. Well, it was entertaining. You deserved it. <laughs> you talking about this in minute 48 of the podcast? Yeah, it's you yeah. getting stuck in quicksand? Yeah, pretty much. Come yeah. on, man. That's hilarious. And uh, the best part, of, can I tell the story really quick? Sure. So we're walking around Strawberry. He's cursing your name left, right, and center. <laughs> and you know, he was expecting to be walking out with Jaws and everything was being a trophy. <laughs> And as he's walking around the shoreline, I decided to, you know, go as the crows uh, fly through this, what I thought was this marshy area, but I should be fine. I get about eh, 35 feet into it while I'm carrying my pole and my tackle box, and my right leg sinks directly up to my groin, you know. And then as I try to move my left leg, the left leg goes sinking into the ground, and now I'm up to my belt line. And there's this moment going like, wow, I'm actually really in trouble. Like, a legitimate, I mean... Forget about losing a shoe. If all I lost was a shoe, I'd be fine on this one. I look over to Kevin, and he's kind of like scanning over the horizon trying to find me, and I'm like waving my rod. And I'm like, Kevin, I need help. And then he looks at me and says, I can't help you. It's too late for you. I thought you were going to say he was looking for coyotes to come and feast on you or something. Probably would have been better. But but see, that's that's the thing, too, is, I mean, you get stories like that. You know, I mean, it it's not about – catching fish it's about the experience yeah sometimes sometimes yeah. it's nice to have an experience to tell while eating those fish. while grilling the fish you gotta yeah. you, you know you gotta pay your dues yeah i've paid them <laughs> i've paid them this year is gonna be good if that's the case <laughs> all right so they can follow you on twitter at at Brady, uh, Brady, Brady. Brady. hey about my Brett? name is appeared in the paper that way <laughs> thanks to yeah pat kinham uh brett prettyman all one word right b-r-e-t-t-p-r-e-t-t-y-m-a-n uh he's all doing all the stuff on the outdoors for the entire state great coverage really good stuff so definitely follow him on twitter and he's really good at retweeting things that might give you information where you should be fishing hunting going on camping so on and so forth chris camarani will be uh busy i'll try with to spell it <laughs> Just don't try to spell okay. it. Well, anyway, Chris Camarani will be doing a lot of RSL coming up. How's the season looking so far, pal? Yeah. That's <laughs> – you can follow uh, digital letter Kevin Winter Morris at KWinMo. I'm at Benny Raskin. Before we wrap up, oh. I, I think it's only fitting that we do cap it off with curling. No. After the last – after 20 minutes and of the last episode – I think it's important that those who are listening know that Team Canada won in the 11th end on the last shot. By okay, this is, what we're gonna, this is what we're going to do. Take us out. 
sign us off, tell us the rest of the curling, and then we'll close the show out. Thanks it for listening. It was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. That's all. If you didn't watch it, you missed a treat. You can find it on YouTube. That's all, Benny. That's not how you we'll take see us you next. Uh, you're take the expert. Us you're the expert. All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Once again, go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, rate and review, uh, five-star rating, kill us in the comment section. Uh, be a mensch, tell a friend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. For Tribune Sports Radio, this is Ben Raskin. Our weekly podcast is recorded every Tuesday. Subscribe to the show on iTunes at Trib Sports Radio. And while you're there, please rate the show and give us some comments to help improve the podcast. All of our reporters' work can be found at sltrib.com. Please follow us on Twitter at Trib Sports Radio. Tweet us questions and the fellows will be happy to answer them. Or if you feel like writing an email, send it to Tribune Sports Radio, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.